0: Uh, we're in the middle of a uh, of a series called "On Second Thought." On second thought, and this morning's title is actually "My Circumstances Don't Define Me." On second thought, my circumstances don't define me, and uh, we're continuing a series uh, as we do a jour- as we've been doing a journey through First Corinthians. Uh, in particular, "On Second Thought" is really uh, beginning at chapter seven and going on through the first verse of chapter eleven. And so we're kind of leaning into uh, this text and we're wrapping up chapter 7 this morning. And so uh, we're going to see that projected up on the screens or you can follow along with version, or if you have a physical Bible or however you want to do that. We're going to read chapter 7, verse 17 through 40. So it's a big chunk. So um, get comfy because it's reading time. Here we go. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Has anyone at the time of his call already, sorry, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price, Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if betrothed oh sorry, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. That sounds glorious, doesn't it? (laughs) I want you to be free from anxieties. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. For whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. There's a lot of reading. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we're thankful. We're thankful that we have the opportunity uh, in our country to, to be. Free to gather and to hear from your word, and so I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we come together. That we would truly have an encounter with you, the living God, and that we would leave this place uh, forever marked by it, for your glory. In your name, we pray. Everyone said, "Amen, amen." So we're wrapping up chapter seven, and although um, it sounds like there's a, a couple of different groupings of thought that Paul, who is the the author of First Corinthians, uh, he was an apostle who wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. Uh, we'll give a little bit of context as we move on. But Paul's kind of, it seems like he's addressing um, some, some issues on one level as far as remaining as you are. And then he kind of addresses uh, some married and unmarried issues. And the, the reality of what's happening here in the text beneath it all is actually this idea of living circumstantially living circumstantially. And and we'll unpack that a little bit more as we move forward. Um, As I was uh, considering a way to kind of illustrate some of what the the text reveals, I was thinking about a a lot of different times that circumstances drove me uh, to an extreme statement or to uh, an extreme moment. And uh, there was one time in particular, uh, my my parents, we grew up on, uh, it was about two acres, I think, of property, and so we had this long driveway, and uh, I'm the middle of three children, and so I'm the, the only boy, and I watched as my older sister uh, learned to ride her bike. And uh, as she learned to ride it, it was, um, she was very anxious about it, and uh, she fell a lot. Uh, she fell so much that I thought, Dear Lord, I don't ever want to ride a bicycle. It seems to be not worth it. And uh, I remember as I was kind of processing, it's like you're, you're, you have this tension of wanting this freedom, this amazing freedom to, to ride a two-wheel bike and, uh, and yet faced with the reality of the carnage that will ensue as you attempt to do such things. And so some of you are like, oh, poor kid, like it wasn't that traumatic for me. Congratulations. So um, in either case, uh, for me, you know, I was like, dad, I want you to to teach me how to ride my bike. And uh, and he said, you know how I was taught to ride a bike? I was like, no, I don't. And he said, "My uh, my dad just put me on the bike and then he pushed me. And he just kept putting me on the bike and pushing me until finally I stopped falling. I was like, I don't know if I want to learn how to ride a bike, Dad. And he's like, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. And so he's kind of telling me this story of, of his horrible upbringing. <laughs> Not that he had a horrible upbringing, but, uh, you know, to a, a young child trying to learn how to ride a bike, you're like, why, God, why? And so I'm kind of getting ready to, to, to get on this bicycle and to give it a push. And um, I start riding, and if you've, if you've learned to ride a bike, I know some adults that don't ride bikes that never learned, which I think is incredible. Uh, but in either case, uh, if you've ever experienced that, you know the tension of when your parent is kind of holding the back of the seat or walking alongside you and you're like, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. And you're like going along, you're like turning and you're wobbling, like just ride the bike. I'm like, don't let go, don't let go. Dad, don't, I don't want to die, you know. And, uh, and he's following along, following along. And, um, and then kind of this moment of brilliance happens where he's like, you're doing it. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're doing it. I'm like, no, I'm not. And He's like, yes, you are. He's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, no, you are. And I was like, what? so I look around and I'm riding my bicycle and then you're struck with that moment, like this amazing freedom and then, oh, dear God, this is how I die. This is the moment right here. And so I'm, I'm starting to like you know, melt down and then I'm not so sure I'm as confident as I was and I start to wobble and I'm looking around and I don't see my dad anywhere and I'm horrified at all the stories he's told of his upbringing and this is it, I'm going to lose teeth the skin's going to come tearing off my arms and legs and so I'm thinking all these horrible thoughts and I start screaming, help, help and I'm literally going like this and I hear laughter from my younger sister which of course just enraged me You know, and like, help, and I can feel tears welling up and then I literally screamed, why don't you love me? (laughs) As I start to fly through the air because the steering wheel jerks to the right and I start to fly off my bike. Why don't you love me? And so I have a question for us to consider this morning. Why do we fall victim to our circumstances? Why is it that we fall victim to our circumstances over and over again? And no matter where you identify in your spiritual journey this morning, you struggle with this human condition. You have circumstances in your life beyond your control. And maybe this morning, like, things are good. And So I'm not talking about, like, some horrible, devastating moment, although maybe you find yourself there as well. So whether it's a a really difficult situation or life is going fairly well, you have circumstances in your life beyond your control. Like it or not, most Americans don't like it that's why we medicate we don't like this idea of being out of control and as a result of having things out of our control we often bear the consequences of our circumstances we all at some point have fallen victim to our circumstances We're going to give it a little bit of context, as I mentioned before, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, is addressing this tension that's taking place in this church, this idea of this uh, circumstances driving their perception of God, circumstances driving the way that they relate within the context of a community, in the context of a church. And so he's addressing this tension, and he's challenging them and us to live fulfilled wherever we find ourselves. To live fulfilled wherever we find ourselves, regardless of our circumstances. Easier said than done, right? Because we've all had a bad boss. We've all had a friend that said they were a friend and then they turned out not to be a friend. We've all been at this moment where where you're like, hang on a second, I'm the victim here. Like, these circumstances are outside of my control, it's not my fault, and yet I bear the consequences of that. That's not fair. So especially when we believe that we're the victim, it becomes way easier said than done to say, hmm, just find joy there. Isn't life good? Hey, you're alive. Like, yeah, you're about not to be, you know? (laughs) We say things like, but I'm right. But I'm right. No, like, seriously, Claude. like, I'm really right. I'm not just saying it like, eh, no, like this circumstance, this situation, it's not fair. If you ask all my friends and all my coworkers, it's not fair. People lied, false accusations, the list goes on. We live in the wake of other people's decisions impacting the circumstances of our life. We all know this kind of famous statement of discontentment the grass is always greener right? The grass is always greener. I remember when I was younger, my parents or grandparents would be like, well, the grass is always greener. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea until we're driving down the road and I'm watching a cow like dislocate its neck to eat through a fence to get grass that is exactly the same grass on the other side of the fence, except for some reason, they're convinced it's tastier on the other side. It's the way we live our lives. The grass is always greener. It's tragically true. And it's not always situational. It's not always like, hey, the situation is bad, and so I'm desiring a better one. Although that's the case, oftentimes things can be good. And we're like, it could be better though. Imagine if. And so we come up with buzzwords to try to make ourselves feel better about this longing desire, like, I'm just trying to, to better myself. Really? Or are you just really discontent with where you're at in life? No, 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 it's not that. It's just I want more. <laughs> wow, that sounds like you're really good with life as is. Well, I'm driven. Are you? Are you driven? Is, that, is driven really about not being content where you are, or is it finding contentment where you are and yet being compelled to not remain? You see, there's a difference between forward progress for the vision of your life and being discontent where you are. There's a difference. We say things like, oh, if, if only this would change about my circumstances, then, whew, then finally I'd be happy. Right? Or I'd be happier. I'm happy now, but hmm, could be happier. Listen. There's the lies that the church in Corinth were telling themselves, some of the context. There's something kind of uh, bizarre that happened in the church in Corinth. Uh, There were people that in an attempt, males in an attempt to look more spiritual or be more spiritual, they wanted to appear Jewish. And so therefore, uh, they would get adult circumcision. I know it's kind of a crude topic of some level, but it's covered in the text. And so as an adult, a Gentile would say, listen, in order to be more spiritual, I'll get circumcised as if I were Jewish, because certainly then I would be perceived as more spiritual. The irony of it is that at the same time this is happening in the church in Corinth, and actually even some spiritual leaders saying, hey, if you want to be holy, you have to do this. At the same exact time, there are people within the church that are Jewish that are having a procedure done to appear to be Gentile. I don't know what that procedure was. I just saw the reality of it and thought, wow, that's horrifying. The reason why is because there were public bathhouses and sports, athletic events like the Olympics and the Corinthian games were done nude. And so people would be able to tell whether you were Jewish or not. And so it affected their socioeconomic status and their ability to do business with other Gentiles. And so they hid their Jewish roots to be considered and taken more seriously in society. You see the irony? You see the tension? The Jews are trying not to look Jewish and the Gentiles are trying to look Jewish. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Why are you having this struggle? What, what is this about, this game of outward appearances as if the outward appearance will somehow make things better, will somehow make you happier? If only I was married. It's at the church in Corinth that if only I was married As a single person, I would be taken more seriously in society. If 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 I was single, I am married, but oh, I'm a married uh, believer now, and my husband expects me to believe in his gods. And we talked about that tension last week or two weeks ago. And and so there's this tension happening in the church in Corinth, and people are saying uh, that are single, "If only I was married," and people that were married were saying, "If only I was single." And widows were saying, "Listen, only if I were remarried." And uh, slaves are saying, "Listen, if only I was free." And he's like, "Listen." even if you're free we're all bondservants of Christ you've been bought with a price we're all under slavery can we find contentment where we are and you know what it sounds kind of tragic that as you look at the the people of Corinth and the church of Corinth like we're the same today like new york today is very similar to corinth then this this discontentedness, this struggle, this feeling of being victimized of our circumstances, this idea that things could be better if only I had whatever it might be. If only I had a house. If only I had a bigger house. If only I had two houses. If only I had a summer house. If only I had, you know, like, oh, the list goes on. If only I had this. And here's the thing. If only I was married. It's not a Corinthian thing, right? Maybe some of you this morning, if only I was single. Quiet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith's like, amen. No, she didn't say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just <joking. laughs> if only I had kids. Some of you are like, if only I didn't have kids, we won't tell them, you know. Listen, let me tell you something not very profound and yet pretty profound. If you're unhappy single, you're gonna be unhappy married. If you're unhappy married, you're gonna be unhappy single. The problem is not your spouse. In some cases, maybe it is, but it runs far deeper than that. There's no circumstantial change that just suddenly makes all things better. Listen, if you're unhappy without kids, I'm not going to be much happier with them. (laughs) Let's just be honest here. Like, hey, sleep deprivation and enormous costs. I think I've bought, I did the math. We we bought 250,000 diapers. No, I'm just kidding. It seemed that way. I was like, I know who's filling landfills. It's my children with diapers. Like, it was unreal. It's bigger than the circumstances that you find yourself in. Verse 17 says this. Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Literally in the original text, it's talking about leading this life means one step after another. People, live your life one step after another. What Paul is saying here is find joy where you are. Find joy where you are. Now, I always find it interesting when when people that have experienced little pain comparatively or what appears to be little pain or hardship in their lives attempt to encourage those that are in the midst of horrifying pain. And with their best efforts and best intentions, they kind of give these canned words. And they mean well, but their words feel hollow somehow. This idea that like, but you haven't walked my journey. You don't understand the pain of my circumstances. You don't know the difficulty of my situation. And yet, there's these trite words that are offered. And, and so, when, when you look at 1 Corinthians and you read this letter, and Paul's saying essentially, listen, find joy where you are. You kind of look at the life of Paul, and if you understand where it kind of falls in his life, he's writing 1 Corinthians at a time that he has not spent very much extended time in prison. In fact, at the time in which his life, uh, where he's writing 1 Corinthians, he hasn't experienced a majority of the pain that his life will award him. Uh, He was shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and horrifying things happened in his life. But when he's penning this letter to Corinth, a majority of those things haven't taken place. He hasn't, it's not like he's walked through this pain and he's like, hey, in the midst of my pain, let me tell you, find joy where you are. And so that always intrigues me because then I say, all right, will his tune kind of change once he's experienced a little pain? (laughs) Once he's experienced some of the depth of hurt, he won't have these canned answers and these easy statements like, hey... God bless, we're praying, you know. After he writes this letter, he spends five years in Roman prisons before he writes the book of Philippians. And so the book of Philippians is called a prison epistle. It means that it's a letter he wrote while in prison. He writes it to a church that he planted in Philippi, very similar to a letter that he's writing to 1 Corinthians, a church that he established and so it's interesting to me, you lean into that, we, we actually did a series through Philippians prior to our launch officially, and I want to read a verse, as we find Paul in the depths of his pain, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and I'm going to read chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 11. He says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's saying, find joy where you are. Then he endures this pain, this suffering, this hurt, this unfair, unjust imprisonment. And in the midst of that, he pens the letter that says, listen, in whatever situation, I am to be content. I don't have this projected, but I want to read the next two verses as it finishes the pericope or the the thought that he's in. He says this, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he quotes the most twisted scripture in America. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not saying like, hey, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's conquer the world. He's, not, he's saying from the depth of my pain, I can be content in all things because my strength is in him. It's not a statement of victory or dominance. It's a statement in the midst of the lowest parts of his life, he can find contentment in who God is. In fact, the name of that series is Content of Contentment because that's what Paul is talking about in Philippians. And so I want to tell you this morning, some of what Paul is saying here is that we need to have a perspective that God is at work regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situation. We pray prayers like this, God, change my circumstances. And listen, I'm I'm for prayer. You should pray for one another. You should let others know that you're praying for them. That's not a trite statement. I'm just saying in moments of pain, it can feel kind of hollow or empty. And, And we often pray, God, change their circumstances. God, change my circumstances. Help me. Help me, God. Like, what the heck? You're my father. Help me. Do you even love me? Right? As you're wiggling through life, you're like, I don't see him anywhere. What's up with that, God? Help me. When our prayer should be, God, change me as I walk through these circumstances. God, would you do a work in and through me that's so profoundly marked by your fingerprints that everyone around me realizes the peace that I have is beyond all understanding. The joy that I'm found is not on this plane, my circumstances or my situation. My joy is rooted in something so deep that I can find contentment while being imprisoned for the wrong reasons. While accusations are coming my way, I can still find joy and peace. Why? Because my source of peace and joy is not in the circumstances of my life. Listen, if if you're looking for joy and contentment in the circumstances of your life, get on the roller coaster. Get on the roller coaster because you know what? It's gonna be super fun when it's good and it's gonna be super devastating when it's bad. But God wants us to live this life of contentment and fulfillment where we're not being tossed to and fro about all the issues of life but that it's rooted in something different. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. With God, we often uh, will say, this is God's fault. Things went wrong. I, I leaned in on him, and now here I am. I trusted him. I got on the bike He told me he wouldn't let go. Now he's nowhere to be found. I'm about to bite it. I'm going to lose teeth. I'm going to live the rest of my life. These are adult teeth, Dad. Fun game. God is so abusive that he finds joy in our pain, is what we think. The way we act often. We say things like, hey, I'm out. God, if it's this hard, I mean, if you're this mean. You won't intervene in my circumstances. And we want God to just reach down and pull us right out of our circumstances like spoiled little babies. <laughs> God, change my situation. What well, Paul is saying here, there, let him remain with God. Saying, allow God to redeem your circumstances. Listen to that. I'm not saying endure. Endure. Hey, suck it up. People have it worse than you, right? I don't even understand the statement when you can't finish your food and someone says, people are starving. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, can we mail this to them? How can I help? I'm just telling you I don't want to eat lima beans ever. All right, so don't put them in front of me. (laughs) Easily solved. So I'm not not saying suck it up. I'm not saying take one for the team. I'm not saying dig deep and, hey, you got Jesus, so just take one on the chin. I'm saying allow God to redeem your circumstances. Change your perspective. Allow the pain of the situation to shape your heart to be bent towards God instead of away from him for his glory and for your joy. God wants to redeem that, whatever the that is. Whatever the pain is, whatever the difficulty is, whatever just the frustration is. Like I said, I know there's some of us that are like, I I don't have a lot of pain in my life. But you know what? God wants to redeem your circumstances, even the good ones. You see, sometimes when we're at the top of the mountain, we lose sight of the fact that God is still present in our circumstances. And so we don't look to allow God to redeem the high points of our life. We lean into God when things are difficult or painful, but what about if you're sitting here and you're saying things are pretty good? Is God redeeming that? Is God at work in that? Or are you saying, no, I mean, things are good. I said things are good. What does God have to do with that? <laughs> I believe that God wants to continue to move in dynamic ways in and through our lives. Jesus was obedient in his circumstances. His unfair he was right, they were wrong circumstances. But he remained faithful to his calling. He remained proximity, in proximity to God. As God, he could have called 10,000 angels, right? Jesus could have been like, hey, I mean, and listen, if you're in the room today and you're like, I'm not sure God is real, let's just play the game of potential. If it is possible that God was here, Isn't the potential that he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him? Yeah. I mean, if he was God, then yeah, he could have. But here's the deal. Even if Jesus wasn't God, just as a man, he could have ran. Right? Be like, oh, oh, the soldiers are coming. They're marching towards me. Okay, guys, I'm out. (laughs) Uh, Can you trip that one? Chop that dude's ear off. I'm out. You know, like, which actually happened. Read your Bible. It'll be interesting be more funny for you anyway in either case um, the fact is like he didn't run as 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 a human he didn't run as God he didn't bail out why he stayed in his circumstances and situations because as he was in the garden of Gethsemane about to pay the penalty for your sin and mine he said God is there another way but if there isn't your will and not mine I'll go pay the price the unfair circumstances of my life, I'll walk into for you, for you, for me. Listen, he was victimized so that we could be more than conquerors. All too often, we look at the situations of our life, we say, I'm the victim, I'm a victim, this isn't fair. And listen, you want to talk about unfair? Live the perfect life. Sinless life and die a death you don't deserve. That's unfair. You're here this morning facing the potential of freedom in the spiritual realm and victory in your life because of the most unfair thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. He was victimized so that we could be more than conquerors. Difficulties will come. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, relationships and marriage, they're complicated. And they complicate your life. Everyone agrees with that. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, with all these complications of your life, your heart's divided, your mind is divided. And so in verse 35, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. God is saying, listen, if, you, if you're going to be married, that's okay. Okay. It's not sin to be married. But listen, don't allow your marriage to become an idol that you worship before God. You want to live in a nice house? That's okay. But don't allow stuff to be the idol that you worship before God. You see, and so Paul is trying to cut to the heart of really an idolatry issue. Listen, you're sitting in your circumstances and you're saying, I'm not content, I'm not content, it's not okay, I want more, I want more, I'm not happy enough. And he's saying you're missing it over and over again. Undivided devotion to the Lord. And so there I am, flying off of a bicycle to my death. (laughs) I'm mid air. I remember the handlebars turned to the right hard, and I'm literally flying over the handlebars. And all of a sudden, I'm suspended in air. The Lord gave me the power to fly. No, I'm just kidding. I'm suspended in air because the hands of my father wrap around my waist and he catches me before I even fall. And so I'm there literally seconds after I scream, why don't you love me? I'm caught by my father. And he says to me, you were never alone. I'm like, Dad, I I didn't see you. I just, I didn't see you as I'm like, my heart's racing and I'm angry and I'm frustrated because I think he let me down. I just, I didn't see you. And he said, because you were so scared that you never noticed I was running behind you. Oh my gosh, guys, the circumstances of our life, they blind us to the reality that God has never left us. He's not forsaken you. We're screaming out, do you even love me, God? He's like, I'm right here. I haven't left. You were never alone. You were never alone. But Jesus on the cross screamed out, Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, he was truly alone on the cross. See, breathed his last so that we could never be alone. Allow the truth of the gospel to impact and inform every aspect of your life. Otherwise, you're just running after stuff, and you're going from circumstance to circumstance as if that even matters. The whole time, you have to come face to face that maybe, on second thought, my circumstances don't define me. They don't. The Lord is with you as you walk through the low and the high. And so, what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for you? We can come to a place and be around people that we've missed and smile and hug and have great coffee. Interact with one another and just go to a church service or we can allow the truth of God's word to actually cut to the marrow of our hearts and our bones and say, God, will you change me? Will you do a work in me so that I can be aware of your presence in my life? That circumstances won't actually turn me into the victim, but instead I can find my hope and peace and joy in you apart from the difficulties and even apart from the winds. I often say, that the text requires something from us. And so I have an application question I want you to consider as you leave this place or even in this room in a moment we'll respond through song and maybe in different ways as the Lord might lead you to to journal or to pray or whatever that looks like. So I want you to consider this. What can you change this week as you apply the truth of the gospel? And what I mean by that is, is oftentimes we realize that There's the work that the Lord does and only the Lord does, right? But we bear some responsibility of acknowledgement of what it is that God has done and how that impacts and directs our lives. And so for some of you this morning, maybe this means crossing the line of faith. Maybe you've been trying to live life on your own. You've been trying to learn to ride your bike and all along God's like, why are you going through the pain? I'm right here. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to walk beside you. And so this morning, if you want to accept the reality of what Christ has done on the cross and come into relationship with him, it's as simple as admitting that you're a sinner and asking him to forgive you and be the Lord and leader of your life. It's that easy. That's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But for others of you, others of you this morning that maybe have taken that step, what is this text Require of you. I want us all to bow our heads and close our eyes so that we're not distracted or um, kind of put off by the worship team as they make their way up. With your head bowed and your eyes closed or at least looking at the ground, what are the implications as you apply the truth of the gospel for you? Is it perspective? Maybe this morning it is. like Maybe it's just that your perspective needs to change. You're so busy living your life and trying your hardest to not fall over on your bicycle called life. That your perspective hasn't changed. You haven't realized that God's right beside you, that he's never left you. Maybe you've gotten so caught up in this rat race of more stuff, more things, To what end? How does the truth of the gospel inform that? For others of you, you say, listen, that's I've crossed that line of faith and I and I live with a perspective that's focused on God in every level and area of my life. And I want to challenge you to consider what's your willingness to allow God to redeem every circumstance? Maybe the painful circumstances of your past, the painful circumstances of your current, or maybe the winds of your life. Maybe you're way ahead. Things are going really good. Are you allowing God to redeem that? Are you actively looking to see what it looks like to live on mission in a profound and different way? To declare your availability to God in ways that maybe shake and rattle your faith. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you specifically, but I know that we can't encounter the Word of God this morning and leave the same way we came. So I want you to consider what is it that the text requires of you this morning?